Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Sure good to be back. Uh, as your pastor mentioned, it's been quite some time since, in, uh, since we've been here. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's been around that about 13 years. Uh, we're originally from the Georgia area. All my family, my dad's side was from this area, uh, mostly around the Conyers area. And then my mom's side was out on the other side of Atlanta. And so that's where I was raised up over in that area, Harrelson County. Well, grew up around Mableton in that area and then moved out, out a little bit further west. But then about 20 years ago, we moved up to the Baltimore area. And, and that's where we've been ever since when we're here in the States. We had to come down. My third son's getting married. And uh, so we come down to do the wedding down here in, over in Temple, Georgia. And so uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be heading back home on Monday, Lord willing, and then uh, unpacking, repacking, heading back over to Israel on Friday. And uh, so it's been uh, just been a whirlwind this whole summer has. Once we got back from Israel, we've just been running solid. And uh, God's done some amazing things this summer. And we praise the Lord for all that He's done. I'll just give you a little update of what God's done. Because some of you have never met us. And some of you might have forgot all what our ministry was about in the beginning. You know, when the Lord uh, called me into Jewish missions, the Lord laid two things on our heart. Number one was to plant churches in Jewish areas where there are none. And number two was to help churches reach Jewish people in their community. So many churches have Jewish people in their area, and we are commanded to take the gospel to the Jew and also to the Greek. And many times it's that Jewish community that we set aside that we do not, uh, we do not talk to, we do not evangelize, and yet the, the Word of God commands us to do so. And so we try to go in and help churches in reaching the Jewish people in their community. Uh, while I was in Bible college, we started working here in the Atlanta area. And, uh, you know, when I first started in Jewish missions, I didn't have nobody train me, nobody teach me how to witness to a, a Jewish person. I just jumped right in and uh, I learned. And, you know, you start learning from, uh, you know, basically everything I've learned has been from failure. You know, when you learn what don't work, then you start learning what does work, you know. And I, I remember talking to a guy one time, he's a Jewish believer, and I said, I'm going to go down to Atlanta and pass out some tracts in front of the synagogue. I said, can I do that? He said, just try it. So I went down here to Briarcliff, and I got down there in that Orthodox community there and, and here in Atlanta, and, and I was going to get in front of the synagogue and just pass out gospel tracts. And I told him, I said, now what happens if they, you know, if they don't take it or if they get upset, what should I tell them? He goes, just tell them it's a mitzvah. A mitzvah is a good deed, and you can do a good deed on the Sabbath day. I said, all right, okay. So I'm down there trying to pass out tracts, and boy, they're screaming, yelling at me, you know. And, and uh, I'm finally, these three guys are standing there, and he's telling me I'm breaking his Sabbath day. I said, well, it's a mitzvah. He said, I'm going to give you a mitzvah. And uh, he liked to have. So, I mean, he, he went to swing at me, and the other guy caught his arm, thank the Lord. And, 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 and so then he, he stopped him from hitting me. So he reached up and grabbed my pocket, ripped my shirt, stole all my tracks, you know. And, and uh, so I learned how not to get a mitzvah. And, uh, you know, so, again, I learned from failure what not to do. Then you learn what to do. You know, you wouldn't want J.W. standing out in front of your church when you're having church, passing out literature. I learned that I was offending them. And so then I started learning how to, how to go about talking to them and trying to get the gospel to them. God opened some amazing doors in the beginning. Uh, again, I was just praying through the scriptures and praying about how to reach the Jewish people. And God began to stir my heart about getting in the synagogue. You know, Atlanta had over 40 synagogues in the metro Atlanta area. There's synagogues all over the place. And sometimes big, sometimes small, just different sizes. And I started looking, and I saw that all these synagogues had what they call a Torah study. Now, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. We refer to it as the Pentateuch. 
And, uh, and so I saw they all had some type of Torah study. And so I started praying about getting into it. And the Lord, I, I was praying through a phone book. You know, that's back when we had phone books. And some of you people may not know what a phone book is, but, you know, us old timers do. You know, you remember, I was praying through the phone book. And I mean, one synagogue just kept popping out. And so I remember going down to that synagogue, and I remember telling the Lord, if you'll open the door, um, you know, I'll go. I didn't know how to get in, didn't know if they would accept me and so forth. And I remember going in, and make a long story short, I remember coming back on a Saturday morning um, to, the, to the Torah study. And we walked in the library that morning in, in this synagogue, and, and as I'm sitting in there as the first one in, it's going to be about 80, 90 people gather in that morning. And I remember doctors, lawyers, judges walking in. I mean, head cardiologist of Emory University was in there. And I'm sitting in there. Here, here I am, you know, just a Baptist preacher. And uh, I remember talking to the first gentleman who was a psychiatrist. And I told him, I said, I'm a Baptist preacher. He said, really? And he was fascinated. And he said, so when the rabbi come in, he said, can I introduce you to the rabbi? And he said, yeah. He said, rabbi, this is John Sasser. He said, he's a Baptist preacher. He said, really? I said, yes, sir. And uh, I, he was shocked that I was there. And I, again, didn't know how to take it, you know, how they were going to take it. And he made this statement. He said to them, them Baptists, they love to memorize chapters and verses. He said, no, we as Jewish people, we don't do it like that. He said, but they love to memorize those chapters and verses. And so, you know, the, uh, I just started Bible college that next week. Now, I got saved when I was 23. And so I'd been out of school for quite some time at that point. And uh, so I just started back Bible, started Bible college. My first class was hermeneutics. I didn't even know what hermeneutics was. And uh, I know one thing. I left that class and I thought everything I ever preached was wrong. I knew that. It was, it was terrible. It was just awful, you know. But I had about an hour and a half drive home from school every night. So it was three hours on the road. And I remember pulling that car over that week and just sitting there weeping. And I said, Lord, there ain't no way I can do this. There's no way I can go back to school. There's no way I can, I can go into the synagogue and talk to these people. Who am I? There's no possible way I can do this. And I remember just weeping over that steering wheel. And I said, Lord, if you'll just take my life, here it is. And God did incredible things. But you know what he was looking for? Me to be willing and that's what he's looking for in your life, just being willing, just being willing. And I remember getting in there, and it was amazing because I remember sitting in that synagogue. It'd be something they made me memorize, a, a verse that made me memorize or a chapter or something or uh, some class that I'd studied that week uh, made, me, made me study or focus on would be something we would bring up in the synagogue that week. I kid you. I mean, it was week after week. And that rabbi would always go, John, what, where's that at in the Bible? And I'd be able to quote the scripture to him. Or, or refer to it in the scripture. And you know, those people started watching me. They thought I knew the Bible back and forth. I mean, it was just like every time the rabbi asked me, I knew it. And it was just God preparing me every single week. But you know, in order to, to, to win somebody to Christ, they've got to have confidence in you. And that's what I was doing. I was building that confidence, building that confidence. And God began to open some incredible doors inside there and allowed me to get in and get the gospel. I, I've been in synagogues all over Atlanta. I've been in synagogues all over the world uh, in, in going in and trying to reason with the, in the scriptures to Jewish people. You get an opportunity, go down. Go to Atlanta. Just go in there and, and tell them, hey, I'm a Christian. I love the Jewish people. I just want to see if I could sit in a service. You'd be shocked at how they'll treat you. Just as a Jewish person would walk in these doors and say, hey, could I come to church today? Oh, you would love it. And you would welcome them openly. And they'll do the same. And you know, what great opportunity you could have in getting the gospel in there. When we move from Atlanta up to Baltimore, 
they threw a going away party for me in the synagogue. Now, the assistant rabbi hated me. I, and he would say it over and over again. He'd say, I don't understand why you let a Baptist preacher say all this stuff. And I, because, I mean, the rabbi would let me literally give the gospel. I don't know how many times. And, 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 and I'll share a few of that later on. But, but the assistant rabbi hated me. And so when we started to leave, my wife came with me and they threw a party for me. Had a table, probably 30 foot wide, along of tables with bagels and locks and all kind of food on it. And he goes, I don't get it. He goes, our people leave, we do nothing. He said, a Baptist preacher leaves, we throw him a party. He goes, I don't get it, you know. And, uh, but, you know, my wife and I, we gave out over, it was, a, was it one case? About two cases of Hebrew, English, New Testaments in the synagogue that morning to Jewish people. You see, there's a lot of them in there. They're looking. There's a lot of people out there that want to know truth. And we got it. And what are we doing with it? So once we moved up to the Baltimore, we moved up there with another preacher and we started Bethel Baptist Church in Reisterstown, Maryland, which is on the north side of Baltimore and the Orthodox, right around the Orthodox community there. And we were there for a few years. Then we had another work over in the Frederick, Maryland area. Back in 2010, we turned that church over. We was able to buy a building. And I got them out of that building, got them into, uh, or got them out of the storefront, got them into a building. Church was doing great, supporting a lot of missionaries. And uh, so we got a pastor in to take that work over. And then, and, and we went around, we, I used to make tents years ago over here on the other side of Atlanta. And so we got some tents and started taking it into Jewish areas, setting it up and having prophecy meetings. Meetings uh, dealing with Jewish subjects to draw the Jewish people out. In my tent, and I've got some of our prayer cards, my wife's got some and I've got some as well. But on the back of it, you'll see one of our tents and it's got a big banner that we made. We heat welded it to the top of it and it says, we love Israel. Then it's got Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's got an Israeli flag and an American flag on it. So we'll set that up in areas and they'll literally, it's like a magnet when they see it. They'll just stop and, and, uh, and come under trying to figure out what it is. And many times they'll think it's a synagogue. And, uh, and so we have to kind of, yeah, yeah, it's been funny watching some of them come in. They don't realize what in the world it is until after they sit there a little bit and then they're like, oh yeah, this is not a synagogue. Yeah. And, uh, but sometimes they'll leave, sometimes they stay. You know, but what are you doing? You're sowing the seed. We're getting that gospel out. One of the meetings we do every year is up in Boston. And uh, we set up a tent on the Boston Commons. Been doing it for about 16 years. And uh, we just had to get a new tent for the Boston meeting. And we set it up this year for the first time. Uh, got a big banner on it as well. And it says, Standing with Israel. And it's got an American flag and Israeli flag. Now, this year was the most we've ever had. We've had over, we had over 100 Israelis come out and underneath the tent. Amen. That's just Israelis. That's not talking about American Jews. That's not talking about Russian Jews. That's not talking about Jews from Spain that we had come under there as well. It's just Israelis. It was, a, I've never had that crowd like that of Israelis come by the tent. But it was just one after another. And it was sometimes I was preaching, I was preaching in the afternoon one time and I saw about eight or nine of them come up and I could tell they were Israelis. So I started speaking Hebrew a little bit, you know, while I'm preaching and, and uh, trying to keep them in. And, um, and it was incredible, the opportunities. God gave us so many open doors and so many contacts that we're following up with. And I had somebody tell me this in the beginning of the ministry and I thought it was absurd at first. He said this, he said, for a Jewish person to come to faith in the Lord, it takes about 10 years. I said, what? I said, no way. He said, 10 years. Every Jewish person we have seen come to faith, I've seen Orthodox, I've seen conservative, we've seen Reform, we've seen atheist Jews come to faith in the Lord, and every single one of them has told me this, except for one, 10 years ago. 
12 years ago, somebody introduced me to the concept that Jesus could be the Messiah. Whether it be by giving them a gospel track or just witnessing to them, it took them that long before they come to faith in Christ. So some of you may have Jewish doctors that you've been witnessing to, or Jewish neighbors, Jewish friends. Don't quit. Don't give up. You keep sowing that seed. You never know. You never know. And blew me away, but that's the truth, and that's how it is. Now, some of those we saw the same day I met them come to faith in the Lord. But again, their testimony was 10 years ago, 12 years ago, somebody, somebody sowed that seed to them. And so we do those all over America as well. Uh, we just did a tent meeting up in Rhode Island just uh, I don't even know when that was, just a few weeks ago. We've been up in New England so much these last couple of months. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we did a tent meeting up in Rhode Island uh, for a new church plant trying to get started up there. Several churches came together in Providence, Rhode Island, and, and we did a large outreach. We were hitting Providence, Rhode Island for three weeks leading up to the tent meeting. Uh, we had teams going out every day, putting packets on door. We hit over 40,000 doors in three weeks. And then had that tent meeting. Again, several churches coming in. They only gave me permits to set up 120 chairs under the tent. First night, we had about 160. And so we had to bring chairs the next night and just set them up outside. Next night, we had 200. Every time we'd bring 50 chairs, it's like 50 more would come. It was, it was crazy. But we had people getting saved from those three weeks. And then through the, every single night of the tent meeting, people getting saved. We had local pastors preaching and evangelists preaching as, as well every night. And uh, we had, there was over 50 professions of faith throughout those three weeks of being up, or four weeks actually being up there in the, in the Rhode Island area. And just an incredible, incredible outreach. And so uh, we thank the Lord for that. But then in 2013, I went over to Israel uh, to help an Israeli citizen over there to get a church started. Uh, we wanted to plant a church up in the northern part of Israel. If you were to look in your Bible maps and you look at the very tip of Israel, Kiryat Shimona, uh, you'd actually see the old city of Dan or uh, the, the city of uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi would have been up in that vicinity. But we were there in Kiryat Shimona. And uh, we got out there and just started saturating the northern part of Israel with the gospel. You know, I rode around with this Israeli, and I began to ask him. We hit Kiryat Shimon, and I'd say, hey, is there any churches in Kiryat Shimon? He'd say, no, not a one. I said, you're kidding me. Not a single one. We got up on the Golan Heights, and we went to Masada. Any churches in Masada? No, not a single church in Masada. We came across the Golan. We came down to Kitsurin. Kitsurin is the only Jewish city on the Golan Heights. Any churches at Kitsurin? Not a single church. Crossed over the Hula Valley, we came up over to Safat, and we live just next to Safat now. And I said, any churches in Safat? Safat's a, a 20,000 Orthodox Jews, Hasidic Jews that live in Safat. I said, any churches in Safat? Not a single church. Roshpina, the next town over, not a single church. Not a single church from the northern part of the Sea of Galilee northward could we find. I asked him, I said, how far do you have to go to fellowship with somebody black faith? He said, about two and a half hours. Can you imagine that? I mean, y'all live in the Bible Belt. You know, where I got saved at over in, in uh, Temple, Georgia, from the church I got saved in from where I lived, I passed five independent Baptist churches on one road. Then moved to Baltimore, and it was just like 45 minutes apart. You know, I mean, it was strange. It was like a culture shock moving to Baltimore. Going to Israel was even more so. I couldn't believe it, how far they were apart. And there's such a need. 
such a great need. So we went over and helped start Grace and Truth Baptist Church there in Kirat Shimon, and the, uh, the Israeli citizen there was going to pastor that work. And so uh, then we had some Arabs get saved, and, and so now we're trying to get another work started over towards the Gush Chalav area, and that's the area that we're focusing in. But we, we just start printing tracks and saturating the northern part. Here's one track I wrote, Asur. Uh, this means forbidden in Hebrew, and it's what the rabbis don't want you to know. Uh, we printed uh, and 40,000 of these. We mailed 20,000 of them out in the northern part of Israel. Passed out another 20,000 of them in three months' time. It was incredible, the responses. I, should, I wish I'd have brought my newspaper article, but the rabbi started running newspaper articles. And I've actually got it uh, normally on my display, but uh, they ran this, this in the newspaper. And they told you, if you get this in the mail, they said, don't read it. Throw it in the trash. Well, the title's what the rabbis don't want you to know. I mean, it's like free advertisement, you know. I mean, you can't get no better than that, you know. And it was great. So uh, we just saturated that era. We did, uh, we did another one. Um, this is the answer to anti-Semitism. We use this one a lot over there. This guy was a member of Hezbollah uh, up in Lebanon and heard a street preacher on the streets of Beirut and got born again. Hated Israel. Killed several people as a, as a terrorist. And uh, God changed his life, and now he loves Israel. Well, he's in heaven now, but uh, loved Israel. Was a huge supporter of the nation of Israel. Do a track over there in the Arabic, because all the Arabs, matter of fact, one of the Arabs that got saved was printing our Hebrew tracks for us, because the Jews wouldn't print them no more. So he started printing them. He got saved, and then he told me, he said, I work for a newspaper. I ran this entire track in the newspaper. For, it cost me $500. Over 300,000 Arabs could have read it. You see, God wants to save Arabs just as much as he wants to save Jews. You know, he loves Muslims, too. They need to be saved. They need to be saved as well. Uh, we did this one. This one's, uh, we just translated this one. It's called the, uh, the Atheist Test. And we translated that one into Hebrew. And it was funny. I gave it to an atheist friend of mine who was coming to church. I said, I want you to read this. Tell me what you think. Now, his English was really good. And he starts reading this, and he gets down through the first page. He throws it down. He goes, this offends me. I said, what do you mean it offends you? He said, you're saying if I don't believe this that I'm autistic. I said, what? He said, yeah, you're saying if I don't believe it, then I'm autistic. I said, no, it's an atheist test. He said, no, it's not. It's an autism test. I said, no, it's an atheist test. I said, it's an atheist test. He goes, no, it doesn't. He said, it says autism test. I said, no, no, it's atheist. He goes, no, you got the wrong word. He said, and he told me what autism was and atheist was, and he was like, you got the wrong word on there. And I, I said, oh, man, I'm glad you read that before we printed it. You had to have been bad, you know, if we had printed that. And uh, he goes, oh, that makes sense now. He goes, give it to me. So he gives it, and he starts reading it, and he goes, it still offends me. And he throws it down and walks out. Well, I was like, well, at least it works, you know, at least it works. But, uh, you know, what are you doing? We're just sowing the seed over there, sowing the seed, trying to get the gospel out uh, throughout Israel. There's a lot of Jewish believers there. There's more and more getting saved now than ever before. Well, since the day of, uh, since the New Testament era, uh, it, you know, of course, I mean, we're seeing there's over almost 100,000 believers in Israel now, and it's growing. It's growing, and the gospel is going forth, and, uh, and so we praise the Lord for what He's doing there. So we'll be heading back over there next Friday. So after the wedding, we'll go home, unpack, repack, and then get on the plane on Friday and head back over. So please be in prayer for us. The Lord would, uh, would certainly use us over there. If you got your Bible tonight, turn it over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 24. I'm going to share some verses with you tonight uh, because some of you may know somebody that's Jewish. And you think, you know, how do I share the gospel with them? How do I go through the Word of God with them? You know, so many times we get intimidated when we talk to a Jewish person. You know, we think because they're going to know the Bible so much. I mean, where would I even begin You'll be shocked at how little many of them know about the Word of God. 
a lot of them know their tradition. If you've ever seen that film, Fiddler on the Roof, you know, he says, Tevye says, why do we wear this funny thing on our head? He goes, tradition. And that's it. They know their traditions, but when it comes to the Bible, so many so know so little about the Word of God. I was in Baltimore in a synagogue one time, big synagogue. I mean, 16, 1700 family synagogue. Not people, but family. It's huge. Some of those, and brother, you know those were Park Heights Avenue. You get off on Park Heights, there's over 20 synagogues in a five-mile stretch. Some of these are massive. They look like small universities. And, uh, and so you know, I was sitting in there, and he, the rabbi said this. He goes, he says, how many have ever heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den? Everybody raised their hand. Everybody knew that story. He said, now how many of you have actually read the biblical account of Daniel and the lion's den? Me and the rabbi were the only two raising our hands. How sad it is. Sometimes we're familiar with the stories, but we're actually not familiar with the text and what it says. And so, uh, and so don't be uh, embarrassed. Don't feel intimidated. You just get into that Bible and open the Word of God up. Look at Luke chapter 24, if you would, tonight. And if you're able to, let me invite you to stand in reverence to the Word of God. Luke chapter 24 in verse number 13. In verse number 13... The Bible says, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Now could you imagine walking down the road of Emmaus with, with Jesus after he has resurrected and not even know it? Not even realize who you're walking with? And I love how the Lord responds to them. Notice what he says. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, matter of fact, look over, skip over to verse number 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we love You, and we're so grateful for the privilege we have to be able to gather here this evening. 
Lord, I thank you for this church and I thank you for their faithfulness through the years and partnering with us and supporting us for so many years. I pray that your blessings would be upon this place, but I pray tonight that you'd help us as we open the scriptures tonight. I pray that you'd use this message tonight to help your people to be able to reach Jewish people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we'll give you the praise and glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Now, here Jesus, if you'll notice, the Bible says that as, as Jesus rebuked him, he opened up everything written in the scriptures, written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning him. Now, that's the three divisions of the Hebrew Bible. Now, understand Jewish people, they don't call the Old Testament the Old Testament because they don't believe in a New Testament, so they don't call the other old. What they do call it is the Tanakh. Now, the word Tanakh in Hebrew is an acrostic form of three Hebrew letters. The first would be equivalent to our T, and it's the word Torah. Now, the word Torah, of course, is the first five books of the Bible. The second letter is the N sound, and it's Nava'im. This is prophets. And so these are, the, these are, are several of the books that comprise the different prophets. And then the third division is that, as my wife calls it, that hawking up the hairball sound, that chet. And that's the... Uh, that's the, the, the CH type sound, that guttural sound, and that is the poetical books. And that's how they divide the three, that's ketuvim, that's how they divide the three divisions of the Bible. Jesus literally walked through all the Old Testament scriptures. Matter of fact, Paul said it this way in Colossians 2 and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. Now, could you imagine walking down that road of Emmaus with the Lord Jesus? And he said, when Moses wrote that, he is talking about me. I mean, that's, that's literally how it would have been. I mean, it would have been amazing. But what would some of the scriptures he would have used? Let's just look at a few of them real quickly tonight. Take your Bible over, if you would, to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3 gives us the first promise about a coming Messiah. And he actually shows us why the Messiah would come uh, based on the verses here. Now understand Genesis chapter number 3, what's taking place is uh, sin has now entered into the world. Adam and Eve have sinned, they've transgressed against God. God, Eve is standing before the Lord, and the serpent is as well. And God is pronouncing judgment upon mankind and also upon the serpent. Genesis 3 and verse 15, notice what he said. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. But you see, with this promise of judgment that's going to come, God shows us one of the reasons why the Messiah would have to appear. Why? Because sin has entered into the world. The only way that man could be redeemed is if a Redeemer was to come. That is the only way, and that's the reason why the Messiah, that's why the Bible talks about him being a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's because sin has entered into the world, and that is the only way, and or the only reason why the uh, Messiah would have to come, is to bring that redemption back. But it shows us also the suffering of the Messiah. 
You see, it shows us there in Genesis 3 and 15. He says, and he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Talking about the serpent and the woman. And between thy seed, that's the seed of the serpent, and her seed, that's the seed of the woman. It shall bruise thy head. Talking about that of the serpent's head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Talking about the seed of the woman's heel being bruised. And so it's gonna, you're going to find this suffering that would take place upon the seed of the woman. You know, I remember reading one time, I picked up a a book uh, from a, a rabbi here in Atlanta, and this is years ago, and it's a group called Torah Atlanta. And what Torah Atlanta does is they go in and they try to teach in synagogues how to fight off people like me, people who go in and evangelize. And so they'll go in and teach in the synagogue how to deal with missionaries or how to deal with evangelical Christians, as they would put it. And, you know, in that book that uh, this one rabbi wrote, one of his arguments, I'm just going to deal with a few of his arguments, but one of his arguments said this, the Jewish Messiah. He said, here is what we are looking for in a Jewish Messiah. He said, we're looking for a Messiah to be a human being born naturally to a husband and wife. He is not to be a God, nor a man born of supernatural or virgin birth, as Christians claims. That's argument number one. That's what they state. He's just going to be a human being born naturally to a husband and wife. He's not to be a God, nor man born of a supernatural virgin birth. What some believe is that actually God will appoint, he'll anoint someone to be the Messiah. I had a guy from Alabama one time down here in Atlanta, and we saw this guy on the street, was in the Orthodox area, and I walked up and started talking to him about the Lord. And I, I said something about the Messiah, and he goes, uh, and I said, uh, do you know who the Messiah is? He goes, yes, I do. I said, really? I said, tell me. And he goes, well, one day I went up to heaven and God touched my nose and made me the Messiah. And that guy with me, he was like, he didn't know what to think. You know, I thought, yeah, I've, I've met many of them down here like this. You know, you get them deeper in Atlanta, you meet all kind of crazy ones, you know. And uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's just a, but, you know, that's kind of the concept some of them have. God can just appoint somebody to be the Messiah. But what does the Bible say? What does the Scripture say? You see, God tells us right here why the Messiah had to come. It was to bring redemption. That's the purpose of the, the coming of the Messiah. But it also shows us that this verse shows that the seed of the Messiah is going to be traced through that of the woman. You see, throughout the Bible, it traces the seed through that of the man until you come to the line of the Messiah because then it traces it through that of the woman. It shows that through the woman. That's why he said talking about her seed. And so nothing else is given right here in Genesis 3. You see, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God doesn't paint us a picture of and tell us everything about him. He paints those pictures as we unfold the pages of the Bible. Uh, we start seeing more and more and more, especially when it comes to this subject about the coming of the Messiah. He paints more and more. This is just kind of the first stroke of that picture. And so uh, they said he would not be a virgin born. I mean, just Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. The Bible tells us there, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I have Israelis all the time over in Israel. I'll say, yeah. I said, did you know in your Bible it tells us that the Messiah would be born of a virgin? They said, no. I'm like, oh, yeah, it does. And when you show them that verse of Scripture in the prophet Isaiah, they're like, wow, what? I mean, they're shocked. Matter of fact, one of the verses I go to over in Israel, the first verse I take a person to over there is Jeremiah 31, 31. 
I don't do it here as much, but over there I do. And I always ask them over there. I'm, you know, I've got this one ministry. I call it our Uber ministry. And uh, what I do is I pick up hitchhikers. And uh, y'all been to Israel, you probably saw hitchhikers standing out on the side of the road with their finger pointing down. You don't hitchhike over there like this. You point down to the ground. This is very offensive. So you point to the ground. And why? I have no idea. I still have not learned why after all these years, but it's offensive. You'll see them pointing. And you pull over, and if you're going the same direction, you would be shocked at how many Israelis you can get in the car. I mean, they'll climb in. They'll be sitting on top of each other. You got them in the car. You're being nice. You're giving them a ride. What a perfect time to give them the gospel. So I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, have you, you, are you religious? And they'll say, yes, no, or whatever. And, of course, you can tell. And I'll say, have you ever read the New Testament? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't read the New Testament. We, don't re- we only read Tanakh, you know, the Old Testament. We don't read the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, the New Testament. I said, is that right? I said, let me, let me show you something. I'll take my Hebrew Old Testament, and I'll open it up, and I'll have it marked over to Jeremiah 31, in verse 31, where the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Jacob. You see, God's promised that he was going to make a new covenant with Israel. And you ought to see them. They'll take that Bible of mine, and they'll, after they read it, I don't know how many times they've done this, they've, I'll have them flip it over, and they'll read the spine to make sure it says Torah, Nevaim, Ketuvim, making sure it don't say new covenant on there somewhere. And they'll flip that back over and look at it, and I'll say, you didn't know that was in your Bible? And I'll say, no, I've never, I had no idea. You, we've done that thousands of times. And you know what? I've never met anybody in Israel that knew that verse of Scripture. Not a single one that knew it. I mean, it's shocking. I had, you ever seen those people that like to argue with everything you have to say? I picked him up one time. He was in the car, man. He was just, we were just arguing, you know, all, going down the road. And I'm sharing that verse with him. And he says, oh, he says, that's a God covenant that my, God made with Moshe and with Avraham, with Moses and Abraham. I said, well, the next verse says, not according to the covenant that I made with your fathers. And he goes, oh. You know, he just kind of looked shocked for a second. And I went down to verse number 34. I said, look in verse 34. Because in verse 34, he says, and I will forgive your sins and iniquities. You see, it's through this new covenant that God said you can have your sins forgiven. Not this, and and he, he blew me away. I mean, I was not ready for what he was about to say. You know, I'm already contemplating in my mind how he's going to argue with me. And, and he looked at me and he goes, wow, you got me. And I just sat there like, now what do I do? You know, I mean, it was just like I, I wasn't ready for him to agree with me. You know, he was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, it's like, like I'm like, yeah, it is, ain't it? You know, it's like, now I don't know what to say. You know, it took me a minute to gather my thoughts again. But, but I mean, there's so many of them. Never seen that. We had some IDF soldiers one time, and, and uh, we had, them, had, them in, had this guy in the car, and he's sitting there, and he's just broken. And he's telling me, he goes, I love God. I want to know God. He goes, uh, he said, I was raised religious, but I was just, I'm sick of the lies of the rabbi, and I'm, I'm tired of this religion. He said, I, I just, I, but I want to know God. Boy, I showed him that verse, and he's going, this is beautiful. This is amazing. I had a preacher one time. We were over there. Matter of fact, Brother Josh Merrill over from Texas. You know Brother Merrill. Had Brother Merrill. We were over there. And I remember Brother Merrill praying one morning. We were, uh, we were touring around. I was taking him around. And we'd give out tracts as we're going. And, and uh, I remember him praying. He says, Lord, help us to find somebody today that wants to know truth. That's how he prayed it. I took him up to Mount Tavor. And we're up on Mount, top of Mount Tabor. And we're, we get up on there. It's a 
Catholic monastery up here. You don't see much Jews up there. And I remember we was getting back in the car and, and this guy comes up and he goes, hey, can I get a ride? And I said, yeah, yeah, get in. You know, we got plenty of room. And uh, he had another guy hiding, waiting to see if he could get the, the ride. And so he comes running over. I'm like, I can see what that was. Yeah, get in. We got plenty of room. So he gets in the car and I said, yeah, I said, are y'all Christians? He says, uh, no. He said, we're both Jewish. He said, we're IDF soldiers. I said, is that right? He goes, are y'all Christians? I said, yeah, we're both Baptist preachers. He said, really? He said, can I ask you some questions? I said, sure. He said, I was reading that Christians believe in something they call the rapture. He goes, do you believe that? I said, oh, yeah, we believe it. He said, could you explain it to me? I looked over at Brother Merrill, and it's, you got to know Brother Merrill. I mean, it was just like, oh, he just jumped all over this guy. You know, he was just like, wow. You know, and so he's explaining the rapture, and we're going down the hill, and he goes, he goes, I was reading that some Christians believe that you've got to be born again. He goes, do you believe that? I said, yep, we believe that. And he goes, could you explain it? I said, nope, we can't tell you about that. That's a secret. No, I didn't say that. I was thinking, I was thinking what? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Man, we went through, started giving him the gospel. We get down to the bottom of the hill. He said, you can let us out here. And I didn't tell him this, but I thought, buddy, you ain't getting out. I'm sorry. I mean, we've been, we've been looking for you. You are not getting out of this car. I said, where are you heading? He tells me. I said, oh, we'll take you over. And he goes, oh, no, I don't want you to go out of the way. Ah, we ain't got nothing else to do. We don't mind. So we take him over to the bus stop where he's going to. And we sat in the car for another 45 minutes going through scripture after scripture after scripture. And here's what he said. He said, I want to know truth. And I thought about Brother Merrill's prayer that morning. Lord, help us to find somebody that wants to know truth. I'm telling you, there are people out there that want to know truth. They're looking for truth. And you know what? We got it. We got it. Let's share it. Let's get it out. And so, how did the, why would the Messiah come? Well, no, no, he would be born of a virgin, uh, number one. Number two, they said he is not to be God, nor a man born of a supernatural virgin birth, as Christian claims. So he will not be God. Well, of course, Isaiah 7 and verse number 14 tells us that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us in, in, in Hebrew. Matter of fact, you go two chapters over, and it talks about this same one in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. And it says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so, matter of fact, when you look in your King James Bible, all those titles, they're all capitalized. That's because they're titles. These titles describe His nature of who He is. He's El Gibor, the mighty God. He's, I'm telling you, he's more than just a man. And you see that throughout the Word of God. Matter of fact, Zechariah chapter 13. You ought to jot a few of these down because you know why? You're going to have some JWs knock on your door. And you know what? They're going to come to your door. And uh, you know, I always tell them, I ask them right off the bat. I said, listen, do you believe that Jesus is Jehovah? And they'll say, absolutely not. Oh, good. I got them right now. Now when they say that, I've got them. Why? Because Zechariah 13 in verse number 7. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 7. Um, uh, the Bible tells, matter of fact, let me flip over there. I want you to read that. Zechariah 13, 7. We're going to be moving through the Old Testament in several places. Again, why? Because Jesus was walking through the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah. Zechariah 13 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, you're going to notice here, uh, this is a prophecy that is quoted in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice here, speaking is Jehovah. You'll notice that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the word Jehovah, yud heh vav And so, Jehovah is speaking here. He said this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow. 
saith the Lord of hosts. Now that word fellow in Hebrew is the word amit. And the word amit in Hebrew literally means a companion. It means an equal. Wait a minute. Jehovah has an equal? He has a companion? Well, yeah, when you understand the triunity of God or the Trinity, yeah, you understand that. And that's what he's showing us here in these verses. Uh, another place, and keep your place in Zechariah because we're going to be coming right back here in just a second. But I want you to look over to Psalm 83. Psalm 83. Psalm 83 in verse number 18. Psalm 83 in verse number 18. Because there's many names given for God throughout the Bible. I mean, matter of fact, the Bible starts off, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God. Now that word God, Elohim, can also be talking about a false God. It depends on the context. Context determines the meanings of the words. Now when it's talking about a false God, it's going to be in your King James Bible, lowercase g-o-d-s. Same word in Hebrew. So God, Elohim, can talk about God or false gods. Adonai can be talking about God or can be talking about an earthly man who is a master. And so there's many names that God has that is also can be used for a false god or for people as well. But notice Psalm 83 and verse number 18. He says this, that men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. So God says here that it's his name alone. What? Jehovah. That's his name, his name alone. And so look over, if you would, in Isaiah 42 and verse number 8. Isaiah 42 and verse number 8. Isaiah 42 and verse number 8. He says, I am the Lord. Now you're going to see that word Lord, and it's all capitalized. Again, that's the name Jehovah. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So God said, that's my name, my name alone. And he said, I'm not giving my glory to nobody else. That's his glory. Nobody else is getting it. Nobody. That's his and his alone. Um, you'll, you'll find so many places, and we're not going to mention them all, but uh, so many places throughout the Old Testament scriptures that talk about Jehovah. And you know what they refer it to? The coming of the Messiah. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, he's called the Lord, Jehovah, our righteousness. Matter of fact, remember when, when uh, they had asked John the Baptist, they said, Art thou the Christ? He said, I am not. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of Jehovah, the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse number 3. It's all capitalized. Who did he prepare the way for? Jehovah, Jesus. That's exactly who he prepared the way for. And so, uh, and so you'll see this over and over. But look at Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10. This is where I like taking JWs to is right here. Of course, I do this with Jews. You do this with Mormons. It don't matter. But uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 10 is where I'll take them to. And I don't use their Bible. I use my Bible, of course. But in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10... He says this, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And with a JW, I'll say, here's a prophecy about Jesus being crucified, correct? And they'll say, yes, that's right. Here's a prophecy about Jesus being crucified. Obviously, this is a prophecy of Jesus being crucified. Look back in verse number one. Verse number one, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel saith who? Jehovah, 
the Lord. It's all caps, right? Verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Who's going to do that? Jehovah is. He's the one speaking. Verse number 3, In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. Verse number 4, In that day saith the Lord, Jehovah, I will smite every horse. Verse number 6, In that day will I, Jehovah, make the governors of Judah like a hearth. Verse number 7, The Lord, Jehovah, shall also save the tents of Judah first. Now somewhere around here is when they'll stop you and say, what are you trying to get to? I said, just hang in there. Just one more second. Just look. Verse number 8. In that day shall the Lord, Jehovah, defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 9. It'll come to pass in that day that I, Jehovah, will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 10. And I, Jehovah, will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me, Jehovah, whom they have, what? Pierced. When did they pierce Jehovah? Well, when you understand the Trinity, it makes sense. You see, when you understand the God, it make the Godhead, it makes sense. You see, God is showing us over and over. He said, wait a minute, that's my name. And my glory will I not give to another. But you know what he does? He gives his glory to the Messiah. Over and over and over again, we see this taking place. So they said he would, he would not... Uh, he would not be God. Um, matter of fact, over in Micah chapter 5, it tells us exactly where the Messiah would be born. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. He says this, But thou Bethlehem of Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who will be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. I was sitting in the synagogue one time here at Atlanta, and I remember we had the rabbi's son-in-law visiting from New York, and the rabbi asked me that morning, he says, so what's the New Testament say about Melchizedek? And so I'm quoting Hebrews 7, then I go back to Psalm 110, show how Messiah would come from the Melchizedek priesthood, and he says, uh, so his son-in-law spoke up, and he says, uh, so Sneerson must have been of the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, there was a rabbi who died back in 1994, and he's buried up in Brooklyn, New York. Now, he was originally from the Ukraine, where he was born at, but most of his ministry was up in the Brooklyn area. He died in 1994, buried there. Many of the Hasidic Jews believe this man is the Messiah. If you've ever seen those Jews, it's where the black fedoras on their head. Uh, not the round ones, it's going to be the fedora-shaped ones. Those are Chabad's. Now, many of those Chabad's believe that Snearson is the Messiah. Matter of fact, in that one track I wrote in Forbidden, uh, I don't know what I did with it, but uh, here it is. I actually put that rabbi's picture on it uh, with an X across his face. And I shouldn't have did that. That got me in a lot of trouble. But, but anyway, you'll see that picture all over Israel. I mean, they'll have it on the back of road signs. And in Hebrew, it'll say, he is the King Messiah or long live King Messiah. So this rabbi's son-in-law is alluding to the fact that Snearson's the Messiah. Because I showed him the Messiah would come from the Melchizedek priesthood. And so then I said, well, he couldn't be the Messiah. And he said, why not? I said, he wasn't born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, shows us exactly where the Messiah would be born. And so the rabbi started laughing. He says, yeah. He goes, there ain't no Messiah coming out of Brooklyn. And uh, I mean, the synagogue started rolling, man. They're laughing. And I said, well, not only was he born at the wrong place, but he was born at the wrong time. I said, according to the book of Daniel, it tells us exactly when the Messiah will come. For 30 minutes, I got to go through and explain those 70 weeks of Daniel. First man that asked a question was the head cardiologist at Emory University. And he looked at the rabbi and he said, Rabbi, since Jesus is the Messiah, why have you never told us this before? 
I thought of two things. I thought of Oliver Green in his commentary about the Apostle Paul. He said everywhere he went he had a revival or a riot. I said, we're going to have one or the other right now. And I was hoping it was a revival, not the riot, you know. And, uh, man, it was just incredible how God, the, the rabbi tried to refute it, and, and I couldn't even defend it at the time. And I just prayed, Lord, you got to do something. And God did. God shut that thing down. That rabbi couldn't refute it. And, and uh, he just finally he just ended the class, man. And they just lined up asking me questions about the Messiah. I'm telling you, listen, uh, what an opportunity we have in getting the gospel to the Jewish people. It's, it's just amazing. And so anyway, it tells us exactly where he'd be born. I had a rabbi in Baltimore one time. I was walking down Park Heights on Shabbat on the Sabbath day, and I walk up to him, and I'd say, hey, I said, uh, are you a, you a rabbi? Are you an Orthodox Jew? And I knew they was. I could tell, you know. And, uh, but anyway, he stopped and started talking to me. He said, yes, I'm a rabbi. He's an Orthodox uh, synagogue there. And I said, listen, I said, uh, what do you as an Orthodox rabbi believe about the Messiah? And so he starts going through and telling me, and he goes, now I know you Christians. He, say, he said, well, we don't believe Messiah will be God. I said, you don't believe that? He goes, oh, no, no, no. And I knew he didn't. He says, but I know you Christians believe that Jesus is God, but we don't believe the Messiah will be God. I said, really? I said, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, he tells us where Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He said, that's exactly right. He said, where King David was born is where the Messiah, the Mashiach, would be born as well. I said, well, the next part of that verse says this, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. I said, now, Rabbi, according to that verse, the Messiah didn't have a beginning. He's from Olam, from eternity. He's always been. And he goes, I am running late. He said, give me a call next week. I'd love to talk more. No, they never want to talk more when you get them there. He didn't know what to do with it. And that's what happens so many times when, you, when you're confronting a Jewish person with a gospel and they see the truth of it. They'll do two things. Number one, they'll defend Judaism. I'm Jewish. I cannot believe it. I refuse to believe it. Or number two, they'll try to get away from you because they don't know how to answer it. And we are supposed to be able to give an answer to every man for the hope that lies within us. And as believers, there never should be a time in our lives where we say, you know, no, no, no. Let us learn. Let us study the Word of God so that we can give an answer to every man. And so he, he didn't know what to say with it. But then they state he'll not be worshipped. He'll not be. Matter of fact, Jeremiah 17 verse 5 says this, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and cursed is the man that trusteth in man. God said a man is cursed if he trusts in man, but he's blessed if he trusts in the Lord. Let me show you some verses. Look over at Psalms chapter, or Proverbs chapter 30 real quick. Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs chapter number 30, verse number 4. It's like a riddle. In verse number 4 he says this, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? I had this young rabbi in Baltimore one time. He goes, let me guess. He goes, you're going to tell me that's Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. That's what's talking about God. Now, he didn't know I believed Jesus was God yet, but he's about to. But he's like, I said, he's talking about God. Who hath established the ends of the earth? Who hath bound up the waters in a garment? What is his name? What's well, obviously speaking of creation. It's God. He said, that's right. It's God. He's talking about God. I said, but the next part of the verse says this. And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. I said, now my question, if this is speaking of God, who is his son? Hmm. That'll make you think, won't it? Look at Psalms chapter 2 and verse number 12. Psalms chapter 2 and verse number 12. Now here is a messianic psalm. This will be taking place. 
Matter of fact, you can correspond this over to Revelation chapter number 6. It's going to be happening during the tribulation period when all these kings of the earth are coming against the Lord. And that's what he's talking about. Here they're coming against the Lord. They're taking counsel against, together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, his Moshiach, saying, let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us. And, you know, and what's going to happen? The Bible says in the next verse, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. When all these nations are coming against God to fight against God, you know what God does? God laughs. Like, really? Like you think you're going to do something against God? I mean, come, look what he says. He goes through and he's talking about what he's going to be doing these nations. Then he starts introducing about his son. He says in verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces. Again, speaking of judgment. But look what he says in verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. I was doing an outreach up in Lakewood, New Jersey one time. And, and uh, we do outreaches all over the United States as well. My son and I, will go into like Miami. We do Hanukkah outreaches down there. We'll go up to New York City. We'll do, uh, uh, for the Feast of Purim, we'll do Purim outreaches. We, we, do also, we did one up in Lakewood last year. Was that for Hanukkah or was that Purim? You remember Purim? And so it was up in Lakewood, New Jersey. But I was up there uh, one time before. Now, Lakewood, New Jersey is about 97% Jewish. Now, I mean, extra, you know there, but uh-oh, where is it? Oh, so it's right there. I mean, it, it is like the largest Hasidic uh, yeshivas or like colleges in America is right there in Lakewood, New Jersey. And so we were going up there to pass out some tracts and, and try to witness to some of those Jewish people. And, and uh, the guy that I was meeting uh, got in the day before I did. He called me that night and he goes, are you ready to die? I said, what? He goes, are you ready to die? And I said, why? And he goes, because we go in there tomorrow, they're going to kill us. I said, why? He goes, because I went in there today and I got them all mad. He goes, we go back tomorrow, they're going to kill us. As I'm telling you, they're going to kill us. And I was ready to go to heaven, but you know, it wasn't the next day, you know. And, and so I, I literally, I didn't sleep a wink all night. I prayed all night long. I prayed all night long. And the Lord dealt with my heart that night. And, and I, I tell you, the Lord just really impressed upon my heart not to take any literature in there, just to go up to the yeshiva and talk to the head rabbi. And I told him next morning, I said, this is what we're going to do. I said, don't you give out no tracks. We're going to go talk to the rabbi. Because here's what happened the day before. He said they got over there and they're trying to pass out tracks and nobody's taking them. They're ripping them up. They're yelling at them. And he said he finally looked up and he had a couple of pastors, local pastors there, uh, looked up and he saw them in the yeshiva up there praying. He said, hey, it's the time of prayer. He said, let's just, let's take a break and, uh, so we don't offend them more than, than we're doing good. Well, he kind of walked away with the other pastors. They kept trying to pass out tracks. He said, I turned back around. He said, there's like 20 Hasidic Jews around them, yelling, pushing. He said, I go in there and try to get them out. He said, before I turned around and looked, he said, I was surrounded. He said, there's about 100 now. He said, and they're pushing on us, screaming at us. And he, I'm thinking, we're going to die. And he said, they just kept coming out of that yeshiva. He said, they were everywhere. And he said, all of a sudden, it looked like the Red Sea parting. He said, here comes the head rabbi from the yeshiva. He comes walking right up to this brother. And he walks up and he goes, I got one question for you. He said, are you here to tell us that unless we accept Jesus as our Messiah, that we'll die and go to hell? And this brother, he's knowledgeable in Jewish stuff. And he says, Rabbi, he says, and he told me, he said, I, he said, I thought we we're going to die. He said, this, we're not getting out of this. He said, I, I asked him, he said, Rabbi, he said, according to the Talmud, according to your writings, that a good question is better than a good answer. He said, that's right. 
He said, can I ask you a question in order to answer your question? He said, yes. He said, according to Psalms 2 in verse 12, he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. He said, Rabbi, according to that verse, God said that unless you put your trust in his son, then you will experience his wrath. He said, my question is, is who is that son? If you can tell me who that son is, I can tell you whether or not you need to accept Jesus in order to not go to hell. And he said that rabbi sat there for a second or two and just stared at him. And he goes, get out of here! And he said he turned around and walked off. And he said it changed the entire atmosphere. He said instead of those guys being more violent and aggressive, he said it was more of a sparring with questions. But that rabbi walked right back up to that yeshiva. And you know what? According to Judaism, if you, if you are confronted with a question that you cannot answer, you know what you're required to do under rabbinic law? Study till you find an answer. You know what that rabbi's study was going to be for the next few days? Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 12. God said to kiss his son, to put your faith, your trust in his son. If not, you will experience his judgment and his wrath. I don't care what they say in that Torah Atlanta book. The Bible tells us, the Bible shows us that the Messiah he will be born in a supernatural way. He will be God and he will be worshipped. That's exactly what the Word of God teaches. Uh, uh, I'm going to skip a few of these arguments. I've got so many. And you've you got to understand, walking down that road to Emmaus, ain't no telling how long they went. And uh, there's so much in the, in the Word of God. You know what? If you can go nowhere, go to Isaiah 53. One of the best places in the Bible. Matter of fact, I had my Hebrew teacher one time in Israel. His Hebrew was, in, it was so good. It was so proper. A lot of Israelis speak a very, and this is how he puts it, a dumbed down Hebrew. It's more slang. A lot of slang Hebrew. So you get some, even Sabras, born in the land, uh, who, who speak a very low level Hebrew. They can take a Hebrew Bible and there's places in it they can't grasp it. And that's their natural tongue. Because it's a high Hebrew. It's not a modern day, dumbed down form of, of, of Hebrew. And so a lot of he, uh, the Old Testament they can, but there's some places. Isaiah is a very tough Hebrew book. It's very tough, very high Hebrew. And so Raphael, his English is better than my English. I mean, he's, he's, he taught German, Hebrew, English. And so I told him, I said, hey, I said, I want you to translate this chapter into English. So I gave him my Hebrew Bible. I took my English, my King James Bible, and I'm holding it. He's translating it almost word for word from my King James Bible. He gets down to Isaiah 53, and he says, he'll be despised and rejected of men. Ishim. He goes, wow, wow. That's tough Hebrew. He goes, wow. Ishim. He goes, wow. We don't even use that. He goes, that's old. He goes, how do I explain that? He goes, this is like men, but it's not like normal men. It's really important men. So I take him over to Luke chapter 9 and verse 22 where Luke is quoting this verse and he says, he'll be despised and rejected of the elders. And he goes, that's it. That's exactly what it's saying. It's like the religious government, the religious leaders, he said, it's like really important men. He's going, that, that's exactly what it's talking about. And then he keeps translating it and he goes, He'll be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yet we hid as it was our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He goes through and he's translating that chapter and he stops and he goes, this is talking about Jesus. This is obviously speaking about Jesus. He's like, why have I never seen this before? 
Why has nobody ever showed me this? He said, what do the rabbis say about this? So I give them their argument. He goes back to his other job the next day. We meet him the next day before we fly out. And, and he, he told me, he goes, I sat down with some of the rabbis at my work. And I said, hey, what do you think about Isaiah 53? And he said, I took him over there. And he said, sure enough, they said exactly what you said they was going to say. He said, there was no possible way that could be it. I'm telling you, listen, there's so many people out there. So many people never seen it. You know, see, back in our text in Luke 24, when Jesus is approaching the two walking on the road of Emmaus, the Bible says that their eyes were holding that they could not know him. But at the end, when we read there, it says that he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And you know, that's what we do when we take the word of God. We open people's understanding. That is our response. That's what we do. We take the Bible, open it up so others can see Christ. Man, I had a guy one time, he heard a message I preached online, and he started emailing me. He says, he says man, he goes, he goes, I can't believe it. Everything you said is in my Bible. I thought, well, of course, of course it is. You know, what do you think I'm preaching from? But anyway, make a long story short, we started emailing back and forth. Man, this guy knew it. He saw it. And he says, he says, you know, he goes, maybe when you come up to Boston, he said, next time I'll meet with you because he was from the Boston area. And, uh, man, I, I really pressed him to receive the Lord. I mean, this guy was ready. He was struggling. You know, what's my family going to think? What's going to happen if I get saved? And, I mean, on and on. And uh, finally, I, I gave him my number, said, give me a call. And, and he said, I'll just see you when you come to Boston in, in a couple of months. Well, he, uh, he ended up calling me the next day. We sat in the Walmart parking lot for about an hour going through Scripture. And, man, he's weeping on the other end of that phone. And, and he ended up, he got saved right there on the phone. Now, I never led nobody to the Lord on the phone, you know, but it was kind of different for me. But I got home and I got an email from him. I'll never forget what he emailed me. He said, Pastor John, he said, I want to thank you for your time, patience, and knowledge. He said, I've been searching a long time on the claims of whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. He said, I'm glad to say that I've accepted Jesus as my Messiah. He said, I know that my sins are forgiven and underneath the blood. He said, just like the Passover lamb was slain, I know he was slain for me. I'm telling you, it was amazing. Matter of fact, when I went up to Boston, went up for our tent meeting, he come out to the tent and he goes, what do I do next? I said, man, when do you get you in a church, get you, uh, let you get baptized in that church? He goes, man, there's some water over here. Can you baptize me over here? I'm like, I'm like no, we're gonna get, we'll get you in a church. And, uh, but I mean, it was exciting seeing his zeal. Now understand, this guy was a president of a conservative synagogue in Boston. I had another guy came out to the tent meeting up in Boston one time, and I had some Jews that were supposed to come out that night. I got in a huge discussion with them the other day and told them, if you come tonight, I'm going to preach a Jewish message for you. And, and uh, so they were supposed to come. They didn't show up, and I was a little discouraged. I was getting ready to get up, and the guy told me, he goes, hey, see that guy in the red ball cap? And I said, yeah. And he goes, he's Jewish. He's a Jewish physicist, and he's lost. I thought, oh, praise God. Man, I preached on stuff like this, you know, for about an hour, and, and I got through sat down with that guy for about another hour. Two weeks later, I was driving from Maryland down to Georgia through the night on Interstate 81. He calls me on the phone about 10 o'clock at night. We talked to like 1, 2 in the morning going down the road. Two weeks later, went back up to Boston, sat down with him for six hours going through Scripture. And he got born again by the grace of God. Started teaching Started teaching singing in an independent Baptist church there in Boston. He's in heaven now, but I'm telling you, listen, the Word of God works. It works. It works. We had a guy up in, up in Matula that contacted us, the very northern tip of Israel. He contacted us, got one of our tracks in the mail. He says, 
I want to talk to somebody about this track. And we went up there to talk with him, had a, a new convert with us, and he was so excited. He said, finally, somebody wants to listen, you know. And, and we get in there, and this guy for an hour just blasphemes. We go to get in the car, and I'm getting in the driver's seat, and the other guy with me, he, he sees these two guys coming, so he jumps out. It's about 10 o'clock at night. He gives them a gospel track, and then he motioned me. He said, come here, come here, come here, tell them what happened. I said, I said, what? He goes, tell them what happened to you. I said, you speak English? He says, yes. I could tell he was from America originally. He spoke very good English. I said, and so I said, I got born again. He goes, you got what? I said, I got born again. So for the next 15 minutes, I got going through the Old Testament explaining what salvation was. And he goes, have you ever heard anything like this? He says, not like this. I said, you speak good English. I said, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. He said, I moved here 10 years ago, made Aliyah. He's Jewish. He came down to our Tuesday night service. I preached out of Philippians chapter 1 that night. Boy, he sat there just a-weeping. I let, that, I let that new convert take the Bible and lead him to Christ. And he got born again by the grace of God. The Word of God works. It works. Don't quit. you got those Jewish doctors, those Jewish friends, those Jewish... Don't give up. You keep praying. The Bible tells us we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in Romans 11, 11 that we're to provoke the Jews to jealousy. You know what that means? They should see something we got and want it. They should want it. Let them see it. Give them the gospel. Don't quit. Don't give up. I better stop. We're out of time. But I mean over and over. You know there's over 333 prophecies they say in the Old Testament. You don't need to know all 333 to point a Jewish person to Christ. Just a handful. Just a handful is all it takes to prove who Jesus is. And again, if you know nothing else, just go to Isaiah 53. Father, we love you.